Compelled podcast uses gripping, immersive storytelling to celebrate God's transformation of Christians around the world. Listen to powerful testimonies like Virginia Prodan, a young attorney defending Christians from a communist dictator who one fateful afternoon came face to face with a trained assassin who was sent to kill her. Or Brian Birdwell, an army officer at the Pentagon on the morning of 9-11, when a jetliner crashed just yards away and instantly engulfed him in flames, forcing him to reckon with eternity and God's sovereignty. Each story is true, vivid, and told by the one who lived it and saw God work through it. Listen to Compelled on your favorite podcast app or by visiting compelledpodcast.com. This episode of TGC Podcast is sponsored by Acts 29 with an invitation to their 2024 Next Conference happening April 15th through the 17th in Dallas, Texas. You don't want to miss this great lineup of speakers, including Sam Albury, Matt Chandler, Brian Loritz, John Piper, and more. The Next Conference will equip and encourage church planters and church leaders of all types for church ministry. To learn more and register for Next, visit acts29.com slash next. TGC podcast listeners will receive a special discount of $20 off registration prices by using the code TGC. Again, visit acts29.com slash next. That's acts29.com slash next. Welcome to the Gospel Coalition Podcast, equipping the next generation of believers, pastors, and church leaders to shape life and ministry around the gospel. On today's episode, you'll hear a panel discussion with Suzanne Bates, Courtney Doctor, Danae Pierre, and Ruth Joe Simons, moderated by Vanessa Hawkins, on how the gospel helps us pursue ethnic diversity. This message was given at TGC's 2021 Women's Conference. I'm Vanessa Hawkins. I'm the Director of Women's Ministry at First Presbyterian Church in Augusta, and I also serve as the Diversity Advisor for PCA Women's Ministry, and it is my great privilege to serve as your moderator today for our discussion. I want to introduce you to our panel. We have with us, uh, not necessarily in this order, why don't I introduce you in order, Danae Pierre. Danae is the leader of the Surge Network, movement of local churches in the Phoenix, Arizona area. She serves on the North America leadership team for Redeemer City to City. And she is the founder of Foster Care Initiatives and Ministers alongside her husband, Vermin who is lead pastor at Roosevelt Community Church. Welcome, Danae. Hi, good to be with you guys. We also have with us here Courtney Doctor, the author of this awesome Bible study that we're all gathered uh, and and learning from right now in the book of James. Uh, She is a uh, itinerant Bible teacher, conference speaker, retreat speaker, and she's the coordinator of women's initiatives for the Gospel Coalition. Welcome, Courtney Doctor. And so pleased to have joining us Suzanne Bates. Suzanne is the Associate Dean of Students and Assistant Professor of Counseling at Covenant Seminary in St. Louis. I have the privilege of Uh, benefiting from Suzanne's work in a cohort group that still blesses my life to this day. She also serves as staff counselor at New City Fellowship Church in St. Louis. Welcome, Suzanne Bates. 
And last, certainly not least, my newest friend, Ruth Chow Simons, best-selling author, entrepreneur, and speaker. Ruth is, and very talented artist, may I add. Ruth is the author of Beholding and Becoming, The Art of Everyday Worship, and Grace Lace, which won a 2018 Christian Book Award. Please help me welcome Ruth Chow Simons. So, just with the increased awareness of violence against Asian American and Pacific Islanders, particularly women, currently getting widespread attention in the news, outcries from African Americans concerning voter suppression and unsafe policing continues to fill our cultural moment as well. Children remain separated from their parents at the Mexican border. First Nation peoples have ongoing legal battles for rights to land they once owned. Opportunity for disunity abound. Disagreements are many, and it's just so easy to be swept along by the loudest outcry. Scripture clearly shows that all of humanity as being made in the image of God, and it upholds loving God and neighbor as the greatest commandment, gives us a glimpse of the complexion of heaven that we are to live into in Revelation 7 with every tribe, tongue, and nation united in worship to the one true king. Yet, knowing all of that, we think of unity and diversity as being just a response to racial tension sometimes in the broader culture and not as the foundational truth or the gospel imperative um, that is given in scripture and to Christ's church. So, today we are hoping to have a gospel-centered discussion at, and we're wanting to look at a few things, three things in particular. We're wanting to look at the motivation for and the necessity of having these types of discussions. We're wanting to talk about some of the barriers to gospel unity. And we're hoping that you leave with some practical ways to move forward uh, and encouragement for pursuing gospel unity and diversity. So that's the stage, that's, that's where we're going. And let's jump right in to our questions. So let me ask, what must our necessary motivation for unity and diversity be in the church? Where in scripture have you seen a precedence for such a conversation about unity among different ethnic groups? So Suzanne, yeah, would you start us off? Yes, please. <laughs> Amen. It's a pleasure to be here. It's wonderful to see all of you here. And that would mean that you obviously have an interest in these issues. Um, maybe you're already practicing them in your church. Maybe you're thinking about that or trying to figure out how to go about doing that. Um, your pastors may or may not be preaching that this is a, a biblical mandate and that the scriptures directly point us into um, this aspect of con looking at unity and diversity and celebrating the diversity, um, even as we are being made one in our walk together as believers. So there's um, four scriptures that just come to mind, um, and I'll just name them. I guess I won't necessarily read them. I'm sure they'll come up in different ways, and, and you can look them up. But you know the one from Ephesians 4 that is talking about living the life worthy of the calling and bearing one another's um, issues, being humble. Maybe I'll just read it, because otherwise I'm going to botch it. Just can't help it. She can't help it. <laughs> As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. 
make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to be one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. So, and then you know the first from 1 Corinthians 12, and of course Galatians 3. I'll read that one to you. Um, 1 Corinthians 12 is a little bit longer, but let me read Galatians 3. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And then, of course, you all know the one from Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, O men, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to act justly and love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. I think these are, are wonderful, beautiful, simple truths that speak to our hearts about where the Lord is going. You know, the whole Bible is a narrative about where God is going with his people. And he did not um, put these things away in terms of looking at our diversity and the uniqueness of who we are. And we see that in Revelation, when every tribe and tongue is going to be worshiping him. We're not going to all look the same. Mm -hmm. We're going to all be different and still celebrating the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, welcoming each other and entering into the relationship with him at a deep level to serve him and to honor him and to praise him and to worship him. So this is something that we put away for a lot of different reasons because we love to look at each other and say, you're different from me. I don't understand you or maybe I don't want to understand you or maybe you're less than me and not as good as me. But this is not what the scriptures teach. You will not find this in the Word of God. So I do want to encourage you to go back and look at some of those verses again and meditate on those things. The Lord speaks loudly about this in the Scriptures and how we need to be as His people. That was very much worth reading. Thank you so much, Suzanne. Such unifying language. There's no ambiguity about what was required and what was being called for there. This oneness that we hear all over those pages. And so thank you for that, Suzanne. So let's talk about how that looks on the ground and what some of our distinctives are in light of some of those commands. How might the way Christians have this discussion be set apart? from the way the rest of our nation is talking about it. It's, it's, it's so contentious everywhere that we look. How are we to be distinctly different in our conversation? And how in particular is your community seeking to be set apart in this way? Yeah, you know, one of the things that we've talked a lot about um, with our church family, which is a very diverse church family who have had our fair of challenges around this, even going back five years ago, uh, six years ago, because we had so much ethnic diversity, um, the challenges instantly surfaced that were happening really in the last year and a half the arguments happening at a national level we were having on Facebook initially, which is not where you want to be having these discussions with your church family. 
And um, one of the passages that was just really convicting throughout this whole season and we continue to pray about is from James chapter three. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, work in meekness and wisdom. And then it goes on to say that bitter jealousy, fraction and division um, is wisdom from below and it's unspiritual and demonic. And I think one of the things that we just keep reminding um, ourselves and our community and the pastors and leaders that we work with is that this is not some minor disagreement, but the posture we take towards our brothers and sisters, the postures we take towards our neighbors, the posture we take towards our political opposites um, is either unspiritual and demonic and participating with Satan, or we're representing Christ and his kingdom. And we're first and foremost a missionary people. We're called to represent God's character everywhere that we go. And so as Christians, it does matter that we engage on cultural issues, that we're able to speak um, and demonstrate God's love to the world around us. And so I think there's kind of two things that we consistently talk about. One is just the importance of learning to listen to our neighbors and those we work with and those we are, our kids are in school with and listen for the creational truth. There is, there is always embedded, even in something you disagree with, even in something that's not explicit Christian creational truth. And so how do we see that so we can have dialogue with people and really listen to understand and learn? Um, hear people's stories, understand the narratives that, that they're speaking out of. Um, and then two, we want to be a distinct witness, right? There, every um, ideology and every so, uh, solution to a world's problem that isn't centered in Christ is going to have some kind of reduction to truth. And that's where idolatry can be built from. And so we want to both be able to affirm and listen and meet people where they're at, understand what's coming from a place of fear and anxiety, um, and then move toward people in love and seek out truth so that we can be advocates of justice and reconciliation and we can be a sowing seeds of peace. This passage in James goes on to talk about um, why are, you know, sowing, he who sows seeds of peace um, is sowing seeds of righteousness. And that this is the posture in which we can go about advocating for uh, justice and working toward reconciliation with, within the body of Christ. That is so incredibly helpful. Thank you, Danae. That is awesome. Can I jump in real quick yeah, and just say, do. just so for the conversation, yeah. you know, I think as believers, we know where true peace truly comes from. And so I'm hearing in both the, of our conversations here so far that we can be set apart because we are not putting our hope on peace on earth only, right? Like our goal is to transfer the source of peace so that all would know eternal peace. And so when I think about how we can lead out differently, it's not that we're just saying, you know what, my eternal home is over here, so I don't need to worry about this. Of course, we want to bring that peace here, but we can be led differently because our ultimate goal is not just to fix it here, but to actually transfer hope to all that they might experience and be able to praise together Jesus Christ together. And so I, I just think as we're saying, I, I heard that in what you were saying as well, just that we, we're different because we actually know where we're going, what God's doing, what the end goal is. The end goal is not for perfection here because we already know that's not possible. The end goal is that we might surrender and bow before King Jesus. And that's all reconciliation is to that end. Amen. Amen. That is a beautiful picture that we're pressing into, that worship of every tribe, tongue, and nation, and we are to live into that now. So let's talk a little bit about barriers then. 
um, to this discussion. How, how has the conversation in particular on unity and diversity changed in the past year? I mean, our cultural moment has been so filled with opportunity for dissension uh, in, in the conversation on racial and ethnic diversity. So how do you think that this social unrest that we've experienced in the past year uh, has affected the conversation on unity and diversity in our culture and in the church? I'd, I'd love to hear from yeah, from whomever. Yeah, Suzanne, why don't you start? All right, I'll yeah. start. <laughs> all right, there's so many barriers, you all. This is I'm, when one of the things that the Lord did in my life many years ago is he he put in me such a deep desire for there to be um, reconciliation with men, and particularly across um, ethnic and socio sociological. Thank you. I got to get the word out. Um, situations and things of that nature. And part of that is because I was bullied. And I was bullied in the black community um, badly, actually, by my own kind. And then I was rejected in the white community. And I just sought forever, um, trying to figure out where do I fit in um, culturally? Do I actually have a place? I never wanted to be white, but I did struggle with being black because I felt like that was not going to ever be acceptable. And I would not be able to have a voice in that or be special in that or be seen in that. And as I have looked at these issues over the years of my life, I would say that there is one um, thing that is undergirding much of the barriers to why we have such a hard time with this truth that the Lord puts before us, and it is fear. Mm -hmm. It is fear. We fear people that are different from us. We fear um, if we like those people, how will we be treated? How will other people respond if we support them and if we're an advocate for them? And so what we do is we compromise, as Jamar Tisby talks about, when he talks about the color of compromise. And we are quick to actually say, I'm just going to be silent. I'm not going to act as if this is a problem. So part of it is a lack of an awareness, a lack of a, a caring that I think is oftentimes driven by a fear factor. Mm -hmm. and, and when we are able, you know, the word tells us that perfect love casts out all fear. And God's love is the only love that is perfect. As we embrace this love that he has for us, seeing us uniquely as individuals just the way we are, as we embrace that aspect of our being, then we are put in a position, we are being made ready, if you will, to be able to embrace that with another person in their being. And so I see that as a huge barrier. Other things that have come up over the last year that we've seen, a lot of anger, a lot of frustration. Um, a lot of times people struggle too with um, the same questions that I have. Where do I fit in? At Covenant and other spaces, I have had people say to me, well, I'm ashamed of being white now that I'm finding more about the plight of African Americans or Asian Americans in the world, Native Americans. And you know, don't change being who you are. Be who you are. And so I get the opportunity to speak that into their lives. But that becomes another barrier because once they're thinking I have to be something different from who I am, then they're actually still not embracing who I am. And I want them to be able to see me for who I am and not try to be me in order 
to understand my experience. So we are afraid of hearing others' experiences. And even if we were to stop and ask ourselves a question, what is the barrier? What gets in the way of me believing and hearing another's experience? We can find out what is really there. So this is something that I think we have to take a look at very deeply and, and talk to the Lord about and say, Do, you know, make me perfect in your love so that I am able to not be afraid of those especially who are different from me. That is so helpful. That is so helpful. I just can't help but think that sometimes also that, that fear that you're talking about, that resonates deeply with me, what you're saying. But that fear sometimes comes from a wise assessment of I'm counting the cost. Because this conversation is going to cost me something. It's going to cost me something. It may cost me some bad beliefs, or it may cause me some discomfort. Um, it, may cost, it may cause me friends if I change how I see uh, and so just assessing the cost, that can be scary. It can be a scary place. Ruth, chime on in. I see you, you're ready to talk. Oh, I was just going to say it can cost us time, too. We want things cost to happen time. so fast. We want to be able to have a conversation so good. and yeah. like, fix everything in one conversation. But relationship around the kitchen table and really pursuing somebody you may not fully understand like that takes time right it I does, think we're yeah. just in such a hustle culture and we want everything microwave fast that this is a conversation that takes time and investment of and sacrifice of what's most costly to you maybe your energy your time your patience all of us are exhausted with the internet and um but that's why we don't need to fix everything on the internet let's start with one person let's start with one relationship let's do it locally Let's do it within our communities and stop feeling like we have to immediately change everything across the world. Just start right where you are, you know? Okay, you guys are making it really hard to move this conversation oh, forward because we could, just, we could just stay in any one of these places. So I'm going to move us forward. Um, let me ask this. Um, much attention has been given to the multicultural response to widespread racial tensions in our nation. Un unlike anything I've ever seen, we see a multicultural response, for instance, to aggressions towards the African-American community. Um, that, that has been encouraging in some ways. Um, why do you think the response from majority culture, I'm, I'm going to ask Courtney this one, why do you think the response from majority culture has been so heightened? in the face of the racial uprisings in the late spring of 2020. And then I want to ask you in two part, a two-part question. Of course, I would, I would do that to you, wouldn't I? How would you encourage our other majority culture women in the room who are seeking to grow in their own awareness? Well, it's a great question. It's been, it's been a hard year. It's, been, no, a, no it's been a long year. And I would say that for majority culture, if we might have been able to say that we sort of fell along a spectrum. Uh, some parts of that spectrum more populated than others, for sure. This, this year, or even the past several years, have caused more polarization. There's, there's more division in majority culture, but there's good news in that. There's really, really good news in that, because in the side that is saying, I'm I'm waking up, 
I'm becoming more aware. I'm learning. My blind spots are having lights shown on them. It's my compassion has increased. My awareness has increased. My activism has increased. My, you know, those things. So, so on the positive side of polarization, there's a lot of really good things happening. And I, I think the gospel is coming to bear in believers that the gospel is shining the light that you were reading, um, Ephesians 4, and, and the ability to see our unity is, um, is increasing. On the negative side, I think that the cultural blindness is more evident, and that's actually not a bad thing. That, that at least it's more obvious, at least it's less tolerated, um, it's more observable. So I think that there is a polarization happening in majority culture, and it's not an entirely bad thing. So I'm, I'm asking the Lord to do a work in that and to increase all of our awareness. You, you asked what I would do to encourage my majority culture friends that are here and that are online, and I would say, first of all, humble yourself, um, learn. The, the willingness to just learn, to listen, to believe somebody whose life experience is different than yours, uh, to be, you were talking about the cost, the ability to say, I'm willing to lose my old narrative. I'm willing to lose a narrative that I've believed for far too long as I learn and as I believe my brothers and sisters that their experience is different than mine. And, and so humble yourself, learn. And ultimately, it's what Ruth was talking about. It's, it's moving towards not just love of each other, but love of Christ. Uh, we can't love Christ and love his word and ignore the gospel imperative to love each other. So it, it's a way of loving each other, but loving each other is not actually the end game. The end game is love of Christ and obedience to him. And these are imperatives that he gives us. I would also say in learning, like learn locally. So I think it's become really challenging how many of us are now beginning to listen to like these national voices and bloggers. Um, when we have local pastors, local leaders, friends from different uh, backgrounds, uh, sister churches that are made up of uh, different people groups in our church and, and to be able to seek out um, listening at a local level is really, really important because um, we don't just need the most articulate kind of um, argument about which side to pick, we need to really engage in what it means to be reconciled people. When we talk about, you know, majority culture waking up nationally, it's not necessarily happening at the same rate in the church. And part of that is we're more segregated, at least if you're comparing it to our cities, right? Like I live in a big city and it's very awkward to walk into it. It's very rare that you walk into any place, a grocery store, a coffee shop, a library, a school that's not incredibly multi-ethnic, but, but not true in our churches, right? They're, they're very homogeneous. And those of you who are living in different parts of the country, that might be different, different for you, but our, our nation is becoming more global as a whole, but our churches aren't. And so we just have to, I think we need a season of humility, of listening to your point, of learning, um, but really seek out, you know, local voices that are, that are being honest about our long 400, 500 year history, um, how that history has shown up in our own region of the country. And what does it mean then to enter a process of just prayer and listening and lament and learning, especially when we're new, when we're new to the topic. 
That's so good. It's so powerful to understand our own local context and, 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 and to allow that to give us entrance into the broader conversation. So powerful. Thank you for that. Um, wanting to also thank for one of the huge barriers um, that's kind of been a, uh, that has complicated conversations, I would say, with regard to race and culture lately has been COVID, the pandemic. Um, it has exposed some fissures and some divides. And I'd love to talk about that from, uh, in particular, the, from the um, perspective of the Asian community as well as the African-American community. And so um, let me ask you, Ruth, the COVID-19 pandemic, is, it's, it's polarized us in a lot of ways. Uh, aggressions towards Asian-Americans increased during the, the pandemic and or we were at least made more aware of those aggressions in a lot of ways. For some, this may seem like a new development in the racial conversation. And I want to ask you, do you think this is novel? Is this new? And how might the church come alongside Asian Americans in the conversation toward racial unity? Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, first of all, I just would say, you know, it is not a monolithic conversation. And I cannot stand here, um, sit here on this stage and speak for the entirety of the Asian American community, um, I can certainly share my own experience, but I love what Danae said about really seeking to learn locally. I think we are now at a point where we pick up our cell phones and immediately feel like we have to adopt a certain language that we see coming through our feeds, and that's certainly informative sometimes, but if we haven't done the work to actually reach out and relate to somebody or seek a relationship like on the ground and actually tangibly, you know, have tea together, have coffee together. I think we're really not actually doing the work of learning that Danae was describing here. And so when I think about the, what Asian American community is experiencing right now, it's not that this is new. It's not that this is suddenly an issue or it's an issue that only happened starting in the pandemic. I think there, this, what's, what we're seeing right now is a lot of hurt and has a lot of reaction to perhaps a conversation that should have started a long time ago, possibly needing to address some of the the bigotry and the sadness and the um, and the perpetual foreignerness. This, some of those things needed to be addressed a long time ago, and it's just now surfacing. And so let's not be. Let's not think that everything is a political issue, but let's be caring enough to say, what is your family history? What have you experienced? How might, you know, whether, you know, I live in a, a smaller rural area in Colorado and um, nobody's yelled anything at me. I have not experienced that. I have experienced some of the things that my sisters have experienced in bigger cities, but I certainly have uh, had a, lifetime of things that I can share um, of ways in which I have maybe sat and, and grieved some of the, um, the bigotry towards me and nobody's ever asked. I've never talked about it. And so I sit here and I think, okay, is this a time where the church can say, let's not in fear, we just talked about fear, right? Maybe sometimes in the, in the desire to really preach the gospel, we maybe forget to text or reach out to an Asian American person in our congregation and say, rather than assume the narrative, like, how are you doing? Right. And, and it's a complex issue. And maybe your heart is grieved in a lot of ways. Maybe nobody's ever like asked you your experience. And so that's a really good start. I think rather than assuming 
that you understand the experience or that you don't understand the experience, maybe just ask. Maybe just speak in by coming alongside and saying, I want to learn and know that the Asian American person in your congregation or in your community um, may be totally overwhelmed at the conversation that's happening right now. And he or she may have never really had an opportunity, an on-ramp to like actually talk about this with anyone. And some of, some of them are like, I've been feeling alone for a really long time. And so the, 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 the conversation is really wide and broad, but I do think um, that it is a good time to invite that conversation and be open to say, let's, let's dial it back a little bit from what even is the, the national conversation and say, let's get this personal. Let's, let's hear personally what you have experienced and how as believers we can say, okay, allegiance to Christ causes me to want to bear this burden that you're experiencing. And that growing in compassion will cause me to want to engage on the broader conversation as well. Ruth, that is so helpful because I think sometimes, and what I hear often, is people want to engage and they don't know how to. It's like, how do I even start that conversation? And so it's so helpful for you to give us some practical wisdom in that. But I also want to pivot to Danae, and I, I want to talk about how African Americans have been disproportionately affected by COVID-19. What in particular um, have you seen this dynamic? Uh, how, how have you seen it challenge unity um, and dis in our churches and communities? Yeah, so I work with um, multi-ethnic networks of pastors, and it, really the first three months or six months of the pandemic, it was really striking to see our African-American and Latino pastors who, um, in the first six weeks, were burying 15, 20 people in their congregation out of a church of 200. And then our white suburban megachurches of 2000 were fighting over reopening and doing worship. And I think just the... Um, to see because of socio where people were ministering, what part of the city and a socioeconomic uh, gap and the gap to access to health care and, um, and just who was impacted first because they had more frontline grocery store, um, you know, uh, medical workers, all these different things in their church. Um, it was just really heartbreaking. And I think um, as we've seen the year go on and this really ridiculous, like if our kids were having these kind of arguments, they'd all be in timeout for a long time. <laughs> right. Right. And it's right. like just this this foolishness of like, of like, and it's so complex, right? It's like over a mask and to see people leave churches and, and just the anger and the, all the heatedness over rights. And again, even, even if you didn't want to wear a mask. It's just like, we're talking about a mask and, and just there's so much loss of life and so much pain and suffering in our low-income communities, um, schools, the schools that our, our own local church work with, right? Like the schools in the downtown core, mostly Latino, African-American, didn't reopen. Our middle-class wealthy schools in the suburbs opened up right away. And so you're talking about a year of our kids in virtual school with parents who are taking the bus two hours for their job at Walmart. Like it, it was nuts, right? And yet we have just this, I think the Lord this year put on full display the consequence of how we are living mm. um, and the foolishness that keeps coming out of our mouth and our behaviors. And you can look at the last year and say, it is so complex. If we think we can reduce it 
to one political party has the right answers or one, like, I mean, on every level, the, the pressure um, just exposed how c complex the injustice, this, the suffering, the inequality is. And so I would say it's, you know, I think um, in the, and then in, after that, we had May 2020 and George Floyd and all these racial justice protests and all this counter, you know, this, this lash, lash, uh, flashback, lashback, lashback um, from brothers and sisters. And so I think we have, I think as sisters uh, in Christ and women, we have so much to lament and we just need a season of really leading the way and like wailing over the sin of God's people and asking the spirit to bring us to repentance and bring unity. Um, because all I can do is look at the past year and see the gap, the difference and the fighting and say, there's gotta be a, there, like, God has got to be calling us to something different. Mm. I love that you're, you're already kind of pivoting into where I'm wanting to go, and that is ways forward, especially as our time is just slowly ticking away here, quickly ticking away. Um, I know that your church has had some efforts towards unity and diversity. Talk to us about some practical things that you guys have done as a way forward. Yeah, so meals uh, where we're really having a dis you know discussions with people, intentionally asking people over to have conversations around uh, race. For those who are part of churches that are more homogeneous, doing book studies and just taking time to read and pray through the color compromise. I mean, there's so many great books that have been published. A beautiful community, um, on and on. There's books in the in the bookstore. Um, going to go to a different church, go to an African-American church in your city and just worship for six weeks in a row. Tell your pastor you're going on a missionary journey and you'll be back in six weeks and just go and pray and meet people. Um, even if you have to drive an hour, just like, there's just ways that you can begin to be intentional. Um, so I would really encourage that as something that we uh, press into. So helpful. Suzanne, can I get you to talk to us a little bit about um, just some of the trauma we've experienced and what we've seen on TV and some of what we've experienced vicariously? What are some ways forward? What are some practical ways for us to care for ourselves as we, as we think about our own mental health in all of this? Yeah, we have to create spaces. We have to create spaces for the conversations. We have to create spaces for people in our congregations, in our communities, to talk about the pain, to talk about the grievous things, to talk about their anger, to um, be able to interact with it and know that they're not alone. And when we are able to do that, then we have a deeper sense of, you know, I'm not out here by myself experiencing all these emotions. When George Floyd was murdered and I watched the accounts of that on television and I'm, I'm a therapist myself and I sat there in total disbelief and anger I was numb and numbed into silence and it was actually a colleague of mine who's um, white American and she sent a chat out to a group of us and said hey is anybody going to talk about this we haven't said anything about it and it was as if I was um, able to all of a sudden speak. I was so numb that it took my sister making a comment to allow me to have the space to bring it. And I live alone. So when you also live alone and it was COVID, everybody's in their homes, the tragedy of experiencing the trauma of that is real. And that's just one account, George Floyd. There are many, many others, some of which you may have had in your own life experience. And so what happens is we get triggered by the events that we're seeing. You're looking at it on the screen. You're looking at it on your 
your phone. It's just coming at you at all different directions. You say, I want to just turn off the news and put that away. I don't want to think about it. But actually, because we are believers and we love Jesus and we say we love Jesus and we want to love each other, it's like we cannot act like it's not there. But then we're triggered. And so we have anxiety and depression coming over us. We have deep grief and sadness. If we are not creating the spaces for the language of these things, the lament to happen, then we actually exacerbate the problem. And people will hold things in and try to control it themselves, but that's not actually the place of healing. You, you know, um, Danae and Ruth, they were talking about the being local in the way that you're connecting. This is a wonderful way. It might be a neighbor down the street that is African-American or, or Asian or Native American. You know what? Go to them and, and give the space for them to enter in if they choose to. It's a complex matter. It's a delicate matter. Even though those that are polarized in the dominant culture. One of the things that I had to become more awakened to myself was that, you know, I had colleagues and friends of the dominant culture who were battling with their family members because they stood on the side of the injustices of things that were going on and acknowledging systemic racism and oppression and their family members were not. And this becomes huge when you're, when you're standing in a position where you're like, my family and I, we can't even be on the same page. Where do you go to, ex to deal with this, to work through the issues? So we need community desperately. We need to create spaces in our churches, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, in any way that we can to have this conversation and allow people to just say what is, not fix it, not correct it, not tell them you know you shouldn't feel that way, or well it really wasn't that bad, which is what people oftentimes do, or we try to dismiss it, not any of that, but just to listen in humility, with grace, to listen and to say, I just want to hear your experience. And it's just so powerful to create that kind of space. It's how we, we love each other well by listening and entering into each other's stories. And so that is a powerful um, way to love. Ruth, can I, as we wrap this up, as we began thinking about wrapping this up, can I get each of you ladies to share a resource that you would recommend for our women that are gathered here today? And I want to start with you, Ruth, if I might. Sure, sure. And I was just going to just also say that um, I'm a big fan of us doing more work behind the scenes than we do on social media. Like to do that work behind the scenes, to have those conversations. I'm a huge fan of the kitchen table. I'm a mama to six boys. I know, it's crazy. Um, I have six boys who live at my house and eat from our kitchen. And um, the, the conversations we have at the kitchen table sometimes are really hard. And kind of one of the rules that we have at home is we're just not gonna repeat news headlines. We're not gonna repeat and just say news headlines. We're not gonna just make axiomatic expressions or statements without doing the work of exploring what the Bible actually says and comparing everything back to the character of God. What is God after? What is, you know? And so do that work. I mean, I'm, I'm saying this and preaching it to myself. Like, do the work behind the scenes before you even say everything for the public. Um, and something that's helpful is my dear friend Trillian Newbell has written two books, one for kids and one for teenagers on enjoying the diversity that God's created us and, and ultimately being able to just 
even have a beautiful resource in a children's book to start the conversation, to get to the heart of it. We're not trying to solve a news headline. We're trying to see the heart of God and do that at your kitchen table. Thank you so much. That is awesome. Trillia's books. Okay. Suzanne, what you got? Well, I would say um, The Trouble I've Seen is another one that is well for talking in the church about these issues. And of course, Jamar Tisby's book on the color of compromise is another one. Um, those are two that I would say are good starting points for just looking at things. It does come a little bit more from the African-American um, perspective. Erwin um, Ince's Beautiful Community is another one that um, we've been doing some work in, even at Covenant as a small group of African-Americans and looking at some of the principles that are applied there for how can we be this beautiful community um, when we're the minorities um, and minority population in a majority environment. Um, and so just how do we live that out? And of course, of course, please go to the word. Just study all the scriptures mm -hmm. around reconciliation. Pull them all out. Get a Thompson's Chain Reference Bible. Look up those topical studies and go at it. Amen. And learn first what the Lord is teaching and speaking about these things. See his compassion. See his zeal for his people. See his love and see how he acts in it. That is definitely the most important book. So definitely the most important resource. Courtney, you got a resource for us? I would recommend uh, Isabel Wilkerson's The Warmth of Other Suns. She does a beautiful job of chronicling three people's lives and letting you experience their journeys. They're, they're different, but there's a lot of similarities. It's the migration of African Americans from the South to the North, and it's, it's hard. It's heartbreaking. It's... Um, transformative. I highly recommend it. Uh, but she also brings in, she's a brilliant researcher, and she's tied these biographies in with, with history and, um, and her research. And so I would just highly recommend Isabel's. Another awesome one. And Danae, in, um, in, in 15, one, 15 seconds. seconds. Yes. Okay. Um, if you go to Surge Network on our website, S-U-R-G-E, um, you can find a curriculum called uh, Neighbor's Table, One Family, and it's 12 weeks, and you can either sign up for an online one or just get the curriculum and go through it with friends. Um, but it takes, but it really is designed to teach you how to have meal. There's content um, but that talks about reconciliation, but also meals with people that are different than you and how to look intentionally for people um, that are often excluded in your church community or maybe not uh, the majority group within your church and how to be a welcoming presence. And so that's one. And then, um, well, I'll skip that. Oh, thank you. Okay, we're yes, time. we're 30 seconds in. Um, we, and we want to honor our online community. And I want to end with this quote from Erwin Entz. When I feel overwhelmed by this conversation being so large and, and, and slow movement in it, as much as it feels like our ecclesial press toward beautiful community has us spinning our wheels, our hope isn't based on our progress is based on God's promise. We press based on that promise. Amen. Gracious Father, thank you for this time together. I pray, Lord, that you would impress upon each of us how to move into that Revelation 7 unity and diversity in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Gospel Coalition podcast. Check out more gospel-centered resources at thegospelcoalition.org.